Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
difficult weeks, man, with my father passing. It was just good to have the, the RSG fellas in the in the mix. Uh, my guy Hank was there. Uh, you know, he's from Ann Arbor, and so that's why I thank you fellas off the bat for being there. You know, one of the reasons that I wanted to get this show started, I wanted to just do something with. You know my brothers and people that I really care about, and uh, you know, it's in times like this when it it all comes together. So I just want to say I appreciate it. That's that's what it means to be part of the community that we're forming. So I just want to say that with you all, and I'm you know I'm ready to get it get it going. There's a lot going on, so I'm going I'm going to be bringing my A game tonight. You know I might come off the bench. I might hit 30 tonight. You know I got that I got that breath fire feeling right now. So let's just do what we gonna do tonight. All right. And absolutely, man. We we got your back no matter what, brother. Just know that. Always. You ain't even gotta ask. Yeah. You know, that's that's how it goes. So, uh I know we got a great show and I got my notes are right, I'm scribbling up pages and you know I got some stuff to say. <laughs> well let's dig in. Let's dig in. You know, I gotta pull I gotta I gotta bring my man P H D up to the table though. Uh step up to the mic, my brother. How you doing? Hey, like I told Lisa Sultis at halftime of that Oklahoma Thunder Warrior game, come sit me down. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Devon, you know that's a Saginaw, isn't it? It's Devon. That's, that's a Saginaw. That's <laughs> a Saginaw, Michigan. It's a Trayvon Green. Hey, hey, yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting down. Lisa Salter. Oh. Yeah, and Lisa Salter, ear hustle game is strong. <laughs> like she got some ear hustling skills. <laughs> ear hustle Dave, I forgot, Dave, I forgot his coach don't fought with Mike Jordan, so you know he might. <laughs> you know, Kurt him in a couple of scraps with Michael. <laughs> right. I, I heard one report. One, one reporter said. Well, you know, uh, Israel gave her some advice that sometimes you got to get into Draymond's face, but make sure there's some people in between you when you do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We back. We back. And we in full effect. This is the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSC, Renegade Radio, this portion of the show is known as the intro to let them know. Uh, this is where we give you a rundown of what we have in store for you on tonight's show. We are first going to dig into the criticism of Steph Curry. We're going to compare eras of NBA basketball, which era do the real sports guys prefer, um, old school, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, which era do we prefer? We're going to talk about the NCAA tournament, get you guys all prepped, as the brackets get ready to roll out in a couple of weeks, give you guys some tips, uh, give you kind of a lay of the land of, of what the uh, landscape looks like as far as the NCAA tournament goes. Um, and then we're going to hit you with some rapid fire. NFL Combine, University of Tennessee, uh, Warren Buffett, he's doing some crazy stuff with his pool payouts. Cat Williams and Kevin Hart got this beef brewing. There's a lot going on we got to get into so we got a slamming show for you all. Um, we're going to keep it going. We're just going to jump into it. Uh, again, you listen to The Real Sports Guys brought to you by Resistance Digital Solutions. Resistance Digital. Uh, hit up our man, LR. He'll help you 
get your digital game right for 2016. He'll come in. He'll give you amazing service at a very, very reasonable and low price. Make sure you hit him up at resistancedigital.com. Tell him the real sports guy sent you, and he'll definitely hook you up with some great service and some great equipment at a very affordable price. And be sure to bring up uh, Cam Newton. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. Be sure to bring up Cam Newton. He might overcharge. He might overcharge. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't bring up Cam. Unless you don't like Cam, then he might then he might cut you some slack. But if you if you're a Cam fan, you might want to watch out with LR. Um, but speaking of fandom and popular athletes currently, Steph Curry is the bee's knees around the NBA. He's doing amazing things. Um, this dude is doing things that his video game version of Steph, like the, his video game version can't do the stuff that he's doing. Like that's crazy. Like, yeah. usually the video game version is the exaggeration, right? Right. Where, you know, he the video game version does stuff that the real-life version just can't do, and it makes you throw your control at the screen. Well, right now, <laughs> the real-life version is doing things that the video game version can't even come close to. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Um, but what it has sparked is a lot of conversation about Steph Curry's place in history. Um, whether he's the best shooter of all time, whether he's one of the best point guards of all time. Um, obviously, a lot of that is hyperbole, right? It's too soon. And that's something that we're just going to throw out there. We're not even going to entertain the conversation of where he fits historically because just as this conversation was too soon for LeBron, you know, three or four years ago when people were trying to have this conversation, it's too soon now. And there are lots of things that need to play out. He needs to maintain a, this level or a level close to it for an extended period of time before the real sports guys, the regular radio people will, you know, they they, they, they frivolous they frivolous with it, all right? But the real sports guys, we're not even going to entertain that. We got some integrity to what we do, all right? We, come, we came up in barbershops. You can't just be throwing stuff out there. Yeah, You can't just be throwing stuff out there all willy-nilly. You got to come correct or you don't come at all, and that's what we truly believe in. So we're not going to talk about that, but we are going to just kind of get into – where he's at right now and what he's on the course to do right now and also talk about some of the criticism and where that criticism is coming from. And is it valid? Um, Oscar Robertson, um, and I made a Facebook post about this uh, and <laughs> shout, out, shout out some tweets about it too. Um, the Oscar Robertson was on uh, Mike and Mike in the morning earlier last week, and he made some, or later last week, and he made some, not necessarily disparaging, but just he just his whole interview. They asked him some questions about Steph Curry, and he just seemed very <laughs> underwhelmed. Like he just really wasn't impressed. <laughs> like you know, he he came at Steph with the Jay Z feel. Like he's all right, but he's not real. <laughs> That's how he came at Steph. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, a lot of people in the media, you know, felt some type of way about that. You know, I even felt a little bit kind of like, oh, hold on, man. And so I made the Facebook post, you know, asking Oscar Robertson about Steph Curry's, like asking Thomas Edison about a smartphone. Thomas Edison is a really smart guy, and he's one of the greatest inventors ever. That's not debatable. That is fact. But he don't know nothing about no smartphones. <laughs> he can't tell you nothing about a smartphone, no. And that's how I feel about Oscar Robertson making the comments that he made. He is definitely one of the all-time great basketball players. That's a fact. That's not disputed. Um, 
he is the only man to ever average a triple double. That is a fact. That is not disputable. But he also played in the sixties and early seventies. And again, that's like light years away from where the game is today. Um so again, I kinda take his comments with a grain of salt. Um, what did you guys think of Oscar's comments? I'll start with you, PhD. So I'm actually taking an opposite view on this thing. I so I think his biggest criticism was to the coaching of today. And he gave, you know, people started getting Isaiah Thomas and I listened to that whole interview and Isaiah on a scale of one to ten, how much he took a shot at Steph, Isaiah was like a one. And in my opinion, Oscar was like a four or five. And I really did not have a problem with what he said in regard to Steph Curry. He pretty much said, yeah, this dude's a great shooter. Um, And he said things in the reference of shooting. Um, I actually feel differently from you in terms of the whole (laughs) Edison thing, although it was a funny post. This dude's been watching (laughs) basketball. This dude's been watching basketball his whole life. And just because you owe does not mean that your eyes have failed you in terms of what you're seeing. So I actually took a lot more validity out of his statement in that the game has changed, but at the same time, I think we should appreciate what we're seeing with Steph Curry. I mean, this dude, this dude shot a game-winning shot from like 35 feet away. If he had two seconds on the clock, two or three more seconds, he could have taken a 20, like a 22-foot jump shot. This dude was just like, I mean, it's it's unbelievable, man. So, for me, I'm just enjoying what I'm seeing. I give the big O a pass because I think that his statements are pretty much being hyped up. Okay. Now, see, I'm going to challenge you on it just a little bit because I, 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 listen, I actually listened to Isaiah's. I heard big O's after the fact, but I listened to Isaiah's interview live. And I, I – I hear what you're saying, but I I go higher than a one and a four on both of it because it was a sneak. It was like a sneak dish, in my opinion. It was a very, very. It was a subliminal, right? To use the hip hop term, it was a subliminal. It, it's like, yeah, he's doing this and he's a great shooter, but guys ain't guarding him right, or you know, guys aren't playing. Any, they don't play any defense nowadays, and that's why he's doing all of this. It was like the argument and the critique of defense was to explain away Steph's impact. And I think that is – I think that's wrong. I think that's a wrong assessment. And the reason I say that is because Oscar really can't – and this is – I, I, I hear what you're saying. Oscar's got a lot of basketball knowledge, and the brother knows the game. He's a great player. He's an all-time great. All those things. He's been watching a lot of basketball. But sometimes you're too close to the situation. And I think Oscar is one of those guys, his critique was contradictory to his experience, his own experience as an athlete and as a basketball player. This brother played in an era where his team's average, the league average was 116 possessions a game. You know what I'm saying? He never brings that up when people say he was the only dude to average a triple-double, though. Like, that's 30 more possessions than they average today. You know what Steph would do with 30 more possessions? You know what I'm saying? Like, what kind of numbers he would put up with 30 more possessions? 
Like what, what LeBron would average a triple double with thirty more possessions a night, but nobody. Is, but he doesn't bring. He didn't. He didn't bring that up in, in in talking about his own success. You know what I mean? So it's one thing to like get at and critique what's going on now and the nuances of the game and how it makes people successful. But then you also have to have the perspective enough to then look at your own success and talk about that in a genuine and authentic way and not just be like, well, in my day, we played better defense. Actually, brother, y'all didn't. Not in the 60s. They didn't play good defense. They just didn't. The game wasn't at that point. That's why Wilt averaged what he averaged. That's why Oscar was able to do what he did because there was very rarely enough guys on the court who could cover those dudes. So the overall defense wasn't that great. So so Oscar did not actually say – he did not actually say that defense was better back in his day. Isaiah said more things like that. But, you know, my recollection is Oscar pretty much said, hey, if that happened to a guy in my day, I would do X, Y, and Z. I'd be up on him. I'd be doing this or this or that. And it seems like coaches should be having players do more of that today. So, you know, like, I think a lot of the arguments and criticisms of what Oscar Oscar says, it's almost kind of like like they're being inferred. Because, like, we criticize guys when they give the the uh, the the bland response, you know, both teams played hard, we got beat tonight. But when guys come out and say, you know, things that aren't on that status quo, we get uncomfortable. You know, it's almost like if you say to – Oh, you know, someone's, you know, like you say to your significant other, I love you, there's nobody else on earth that I want to be with. And they come back and say, but you're saying there's somebody on Jupiter maybe. And you're sitting there like, <laughs> oh, you know, like you're sitting there like, okay, I didn't. First of all, no, I'm not saying that, and I don't think I said that. But, you know, like all these things are being made of this. And, I mean, Oscar, like what, what, what struck me in this conversation and in interview was that Oscar seemed like a cat that liked to have a microphone in his face, and he does not like he he doesn't get enough attention, and people don't ask him enough questions. Um, and he just seemed like a guy like like you could tell Mike Greenberg ended the conversation in the nicest way, and Oscar could have kept going. And Oscar, I don't know if it was a bad interview or just just how he is. He doesn't seem like the most polished of cats in terms of his responses. So I think because of that, it was easier to take a shot at him. Okay, okay. And and, and I can give you that. And, again, this is where I had and, – and my issue, you know, I made the post about Oscar, but I also – I probably took more of an issue with Isaiah because I get tired of 90s – of the 90s, the nostalgia – the nostalgic view that people take of the 90s, the romanticizing of 90s basketball – I grew up in the, I grew up watching 90s basketball, right? That's what turned me on to the NBA. And what I will say is is that and this is that from a guy who is a defensive player. Like I made my I made my name playing D. In the 90s, and you guys probably all have said this to somebody at some point at a park, at a playground. But in the 90s, clutching and grabbing was the best strategy defensively. Like grabbing guys, grabbing jerseys, putting the forearm in a dude's chest. And I guarantee you, you've all have said this to someone at some point at a playground or a park. Dog, if you got to grab me, you can't guard me. Right? Right? If you got to grab me, then you can't guard me. So, you know, there's a double-edged sword to the whole 90s. The defense was better. Or, the defense, yeah, the defense or the offense was worse in the 90s. 
because people say, well, what would Jordan do? Well, what would Kawhi Leonard do if he could grab and hold everybody? Like, nobody would score. Like, nobody. Like, you wouldn't score <laughs> Kawhi Leonard because he has to play in an era where he can't touch you, and he still shuts people down. So, like, what would Kawhi Leonard do defensively in the 90s if he could grab and clutch and hold? Like, dude would be a defensive player that we've never seen. So we can discount today's offensive players, but we got to give the guys who do play defense today props because you got to guard people without touching them. Now, on the flip side of that, are we going to discount guys like Joe Dumars and Michael Cooper who made their heyday, made their names in the in the 90s guarding people because they could hold, they could clutch, they could hand check. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where we got to have perspective with these old cats and be like, yeah, but you guys could hand check and – you had to guard, guard Dale Davis all the way to the three-point line because there was illegal defense. Like, come on. That don't even make sense. Like, why I got to guard Dale Davis at the three-point line? <laughs> why? You know, you get the Kanye meme where he's like, how? Come on, man, why? Why I got to guard Dale Davis at the three-point line? <laughs> ain't no reason for that. I ain't got to guard Cadillac Anderson at the three-point line. For what? <laughs> what? In what world does that make sense? Whereas in today's game, you don't have to do that. And so because you don't have to do that, you shouldn't be able to grab and clutch dudes because then we score we can see a 50-point game. So it's a trade-off. So you, you, you give up the spacing off the ball, but then you also have to give the ball handler freedom of movement. Whereas in the 90s, and it's a very simple equation, and this is how the rules are made. In the 90s, you had more spacing because you had to, you had to be next to your guy. Like, you couldn't play any sort of zone in the 90s. Or else you got the legal defense yeah. call. So what do we do? We allow the defender more leeway to use their hands to to grab and hold because otherwise you wouldn't have been able to guard Mike at all. Like, you're right. You couldn't guard Mike without holding him, especially with no sort of help. And that's why you also had hard fouls at the rim is because that was when help got there. Help didn't come till the guy got to the rim. Why? Because I'm guarding Dale Davis in the corner. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Curry. Like, I think Curry could do what he's doing in any like in any era. I think Curry could do it that one hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. And I think that's also a short sighted. That's why I think that's why I feel like this cat's taking shots because if you really look at it, if let, you really let, talk let about jump, let me jump game, in. Go ahead, D. Will. Let me jump in. Let me jump in. I've been on the sidelines like waving like uh, Kevin Love, but I'm going to shoot Kevin. I ain't going to miss that three. Um, <laughs> You know, so let me let me take a perspective here. Um, I agree with Zeke and Oscar in general, and I've said this on many shows before this came up. Somebody's coaching the NBA, coach like they coaching a uh, AAU team, um, and defensively, I don't think people are disciplined. I think that's why there's so much of a gap. Sometimes you can see the young teams that play defense that get it done every night. Utah. You know, you can see teams that that do it and the impact they have when they do it. So, you know, I don't think, um, I don't think defense, even with the rules today, I, I don't see the effort on defense um, uh, every night like I'd like to see it. All the, but if you talk about eras, I'm loving what we see in the day. So, um, I, I'll say that. But but as it applies to Steph Curry, having said all that, there are three to five teams in the league that gets everybody's best effort every night. Gold State's one of those things. So the argument they're making doesn't necessarily apply to Golden State because Golden State gets everybody's effort because people don't want to get blown out. So when you're talking about people giving defensive effort, 
folks are scared of just getting run out to gym. And so I think Golden State gets everybody's attention every night they play. The other thing I think, and this is what you said the sneak attack was with Zeke. You know, Zeke, my boy. But when he, when he said he's a great jump shooter, the problem with this, and this is where Zeke has got to see some of him in Steph, is that Steph finishes at the rim with the kind of veracity that you used to see with Iverson. People don't give him credit for going off the dribble and taking punishment going to the rim. He gets bounced around a lot when he goes to the rim. And he's not afraid. When you look at, when you look at his shot chart, you look at as many shots in the paint as you often see in a three-point line. And so, you know, this, 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 you know, think about a guy that has that, – that finishes at the rim like Zeke used to finish at the rim in traffic. Then a guy that has a crossover like Tim Hardaway pull up. But then a guy that can go on the screens like Reggie Miller. You know, think, of, think about a, one guy doing all of that, and that's Steph Curry. And so – and so part of the thing is, you know, I've just kind of come to, like, realize, you know, I, I knew he was great, but you see how his game has developed. And then even his game on his defensive end, how he's tried to improve on all aspects of his game. Is he a great stopper? No, but he's not a guy. Usually you have a great offensive guy like that, and he's getting taken advantage of on the defensive end. You don't see Steph getting taken advantage like that often on the defensive end. So he's really working to be a complete player. You know, if he were to retire today, I would equate him to being like the Gale Sayers of basketball. You know, even if he was injured now, you know, Gale had some terrific, great short seasons. That stuff, if something happened with his ankles right now, that's where he would be. You know, and when we start talking about the greatest of all time, I want to see one or two more seasons. You know, this is where I got Oscar kill me with it. If you're going to make a comparison to a guy from your ear, don't start with a guy – Talk about Gail Goodrich or, or start with somebody like West or something like that. Don't start with a guy that could have doubled as a proctologist. They showed a picture of the guy he was talking about, teammate, and I was like, he looked like somebody's <laughs> tax man. You know, and so, <laughs> and so you, know, uh, you know, there are some things that they said, and I think, Phil, you talked about this, I think are credible things that I've said a lot about coaching today. Um, in the in the NBA, you, you can see the separation between the folks who really are coaching the game um, versus the ones who are not. Uh, but I still think that does not apply to a team like Golden State or a team like o- uh, OKC or or Cleveland. There are teams like that that get people's best effort every night. People get up for them every night, and they play hard for them every against them every night. So they're getting the best effort every night. Steph is seeing the best that people can offer every night, and he's still doing hairdos. The cat crip-walked on him. He crip-walked on him. He hit the game with a walk-down. Crip-walked on him. Stopped on the down. I mean, he, his, even his dancing is impeccable. You know, he's just making people mad. <laughs> I mean, when he hit that shot, I almost fell out my seat. And then I saw the dance. Well, okay, he, did he just crip-walk on him? And the OK fans were like, look like they want to applaud. So, I mean, this cat is like, he's like the basketball version of 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 Bo with Tecmo Bo. I, I agree with that. I mean, he's doing stuff that you just you, you would work in any era. Because part of the part is that he's tough. You know, the, when they talk about him, the reason why he could play in those eras, because he's tough. He is mentally tough. He's, you know, people are looking at smile and all that stuff. He's just tough. And that toughness would be appreciated in any era. Yeah, and that's why I kind of feel like it's a sneak this because 
it's lazy. It's yeah. a lazy analysis to say he's only a jump shooter. Or he wouldn't be, and I agree with you, PhD, he would be successful in any era because his game is skill-based. I mean, shooting, I, I don't know, shooting from 30 feet, is a, it works anywhere. <laughs> like, that works. I don't care what league you in. I don't care what era. That that translates. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not like he's doing some fluky thing that doesn't translate across eras. What he does, his handle, again, to say he's just a jump shooter, I don't want to know what you're watching. Like, dude's got one of the best handles in the league, and rivals his handle rivals anybody's ever. So, like, how can you say he's just a jump shooter when he has an amazing handle? Um, How can you say he's just a jump shooter? As you said, D. Wills, when he finishes at the rim at the same rate as a big, you know what I mean? Statistically. So, like, I I just feel like it's lazy. And to go back to PAD's point, like, people want people to give canned – people don't like when people give canned answers. I don't like when people are wrong. <laughs> I don't care yeah. what you say. Just don't be wrong. You know what I'm saying? Just be have some thought. Be able to back up whatever it is you say. And I don't think Oscar's comments were all that bad. And Isaiah's comments, again, were laced with – it's a reason people didn't want Isaiah. As much as I love Isaiah, it's a reason they didn't want him on drink. <laughs> Isaiah got some hater in him. <laughs> I don't have facts to back this up. <laughs> That's what we talk about. Guys making comments, but but, but 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 you know the thing about Zeke is he's always had to fight for whatever he's got. He's that little cat that I'm, ain't but yeah, right, yard. right. And, and I, I get that, that about that's his, his makeup. That's that's his, that's yeah. his makeup. You know, uh, he gonna give it to you, Stockton. He gonna right. give it to you, and he just he can't bring that down. You know, I, I love to see Zeke in his ear. Zeke Zeke would be dancing himself, but. But right. you know, I think they're I think they're wrong in terms. Of, I think they're right in overall. You know, I, there's a lot of things I don't like about the way people do things in here. I don't like the way, you know, you don't see enough development of second teams leveraging some of these stars. You know, that's been my big pet peeve with OK City. You know, just you know, there's things I don't like what I, what I see about coaching in the NBA right now. But I think there's always a clear attention when people are playing teams like Golden State. You know, there's clear attention when people are playing teams like OK City. There's clear attention when people are playing teams like Cavs. Like they get people's everything every night, and so you know, definitely people are. Even though you can't pull shirts, they still bumping. They try to get physical with him. Right. It just right. ain't working. So so right. You know, I, I've come I've come you know 180 on this one with him. I I've sat there and watched him, and he would have played well in any era on any team. Um, and he's six three. The people they talking about him like he's five eleven. He's six three. Right. And that ain't, that ain't bad size. So they yeah. like he, you know. So you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, uh, you know. But but you got to think the big O is hating on Mike. <laughs> I really know. So, exactly. So exactly. Oscar's been hating on for so. decades. <laughs> yes. Yes. He he he's a habitual hater. <laughs> He wants to be at the throne, man. He wants to be on the throne. And I I'm, I ain't mad at him. The, the ego is what makes them all great. But yes. the thing that gets me and drives me bonkers is just the lack of perspective when comparing previous eras. Like, like people talk about the 90s like Doug Moe didn't coach the Nuggets and they never played defense. Like, everybody in the 90s was the, the Pistons. Like, that wasn't the entire league. It just wasn't. 
You know what I'm saying? So, that wasn't the, you had Paul Westhead and you had Don Nelson and you had Doug Mose and they had teams that they coached and them teams didn't play no defense. That's why they had 140, 130 point games. So like, don't people act like everybody in the '90s was just meeting you at half court, like forearming you, hand checking you up the court. That really wasn't going on. That really wasn't the way you think about Barclays. You think about Barclays. You think about Barclays Phoenix teams. They were getting up and down. They, they play some right. They're getting up and down the court, shooting and running. You know, right? Uh, with Kevin outside Johnson of Gary Payton, so, yeah. outside of Gary Payton, them George Carl, um, Sonic teams wasn't defensive minded. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Payton set yeah. a tone, but Percy Hawkins wasn't no defender. <laughs> Detlef mm-hmm. Shrimp wasn't no defender. I mean, he was a six eleven small forward before <laughs> that was a thing to be, and he wasn't quick. He could stroke it, but he wasn't no defender. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, like, that that's the hyperbole of it for me where, like, people kind of it, – it's, it's those nostalgia traps that people get caught in when they romanticize the 90s and they act like they act like Kawhi Leonard or Paul George or, or DeAndre Jordan, guys like that don't defend. You know what I mean? If people nowadays defend, you just can't touch people. And that just is what it is. You know, and the guys on the good teams do defend. Now, if there was no defense being played in the playoffs, then that's then, then that's an indictment on the era. But if you're watching the 76ers and you're going to use the 76ers to judge the rest of the league, come on, man. That's like, again, that's like using Doug Moe's Denver Nuggets teams to judge the, the 80s. You know what I mean? Or, you know, a bottom feeder team you know, the Clippers of the of the 90s to judge the 90s. We're going to judge the, the the whole league off of the the worst teams in the league? Nah. The Spurs D up. The Cavs try and D up. The, the Warriors D up. Toronto D's up. I mean, the teams that will be there at the end play defense, just like the Lakers did in the, in the 80s, just like the Celtics did in the 80s when they needed to. Now, was the Lakers D'ing up every night? No, because they were showtime. That wasn't their calling card, right? They getting up and down the floor. Some nights they didn't have to D up. Now, when they played burden them, they D'd up, right? And that goes back to your point, yeah. D. Will. So yeah. that's the thing that bugs me about it, just the lack of perspective. Yeah, and, and again, Big O, if you're going to use an example from here, don't start with a teammate that looks like he, he could be uh, also be a, 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 a podiatrist as well, playing with your feet. You can't use a cat like that. Use the <laughs> legend from your ear. You know, like a, 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 you know, Elgin or somebody, man. Don't, don't use the cat. I looked at that picture. I was like, man, his his shorts were like he's it's suffocating him. I was like, that just threw the whole argument off. We had a guy. Yeah, he was MVP at the Olympics. You know, was an All Star MVP, but that's not the guy you want to start with, man. <laughs> so, so here's the question I'll throw out I'm back to Phil T's thing You need to help him with that Right, with right interview style. So I want to throw out a question <laughs> to you and PAC Alright, so Phil Jackson came out And he compared Steph Curry To Chris Jackson Also known as Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf um, And then I've seen On the internet the comparison To Drazen Petrovic thrown around What do you think is a, a, a Good historical I don't think there's a perfect fit but what do you think is the closest historical um, comparison that you can make um, to Steph Curry? Hmm. 
I, I think I think the actually when he said to Chris Jackson for the, that split moment when he was really doing people, that was I mean you talking about somebody can pull up off the dime with range quickness. Get to I mean he was for a short period explosive from his time to LSU. I thought that was a um, a, a great comparison. Prasevich is an interesting one because yeah I mean unconscious could shoot could get to the hoop. His handles are not as good. Jackson's handles are in, 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 were, were great, and I think there's a, there's I think there's more of a comparison uh, to that. I think um, uh, Curry thinks the game a little bit better than 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 uh, uh, did um, in in terms of that. I think you know he he is his basketball IQ and the way he sets things up are would be that with a combination of Reggie Miller. So it's to me when I thought about this. I don't know if there's one person, but I put like three people. I think I started talking about that. You know, I was like, you know, if I were to mix uh, Zeke going to the hoop with with uh, a Hardaway crossover and pull up, and uh, Reggie Miller or uh, Ray Allen coming off the screen, that's Steph Curry. <laughs> you take all them three greens and put it together to me, that's Steph Curry with with the same killer instinct. I don't know if I could find one person who gives that to me. I think the only cat that could do it would, uh, would be what, like a Michael Ray Richardson who got lost to drugs was devastating type of score like that. That even put fear in uh, Michael. Like Mike didn't like playing him. That might be the closest kind of cat, but I don't think he had the passing skills that Steph had. But if you're talking about just pure scoring and to just do your hairdo, from range and, and and get to the rim and do all the stuff and put you on a on a on a string, it would be like a Michael Ray Richardson. Okay, okay, PhD, your best comp to Steph. You in the house, man? He done dropped the mic on uh, on the conversation. It was just like yeah, he might have lost the mic for a second. Yeah, so so I think Devon, I think Devon hit the nail on the head. You take the best of those three guys um, that he mentioned: Isaiah, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller. I mean, you take the best of what those guys did, and you say that Steph can do all that on that level. We've never seen anybody like that. It's almost like LeBron. You know, is LeBron Jordan? No, but he does a lot of things, you know, like Jordan did. Is he Magic? No, but he did a lot of things almost as good as Magic did or better. You know, he's – so so I can't think of anybody. I was going to say Isaiah, but honestly, Isaiah did not have that range consistently. You know, I will, like, doubling back a little bit, I will say that – I'm not sure. So I think in the 90s, Steph would have been, you know, a perennial all-star, maybe winning an MVP or two. Like, I think he would have been one of the most dominant players of the year. I think now it fits. However, I'm not sure if he would be considered a dominant player if he played before the three-point shot. Because... I think in that day and time, he would be restricted a lot. Like, what's the benefit of shooting 20, 25 feet from the basket if there's no three-point shot? 
And, you know, I I think he'd still be a good player. You know, uh, he'd probably focus on other things. But I think from that, like, from that perspective, I do question if, like, some players you can drop from generation to generation, they'll make it happen. But for him, I think there's five or ten or 15 or 20 players in front of him that you can make the argument would have been better generational talent than him because of his game is built so much around a three-point line. And it's not to say that he wouldn't be a good scorer and create and get to the rack and have a great mid-range, uh, you know, Jay, but it just would not behoove him to do a lot of things that he does because there's just no reward for the extra point. That's a, that's a legit. Uh, that's, that's a legit critique. I, I like that. That's a legit perspective right there. Um, so finishing up this conversation, you listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. We just broke down Steph Curry, 80s, 90s, 2000s versus today basketball. We just broke it down, and I'm going to just let it be broke for a moment um, because we laid it all out um, pretty concisely, right? We laid the game quite flat right there. Um, so appreciate that, fellas. Uh, you listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. We're going to take a quick break, and we are going to be right back. Welcome back to Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. Mark is a game changer in the house with the fellas. We just finished up a great conversation about the criticism of Steph Curry. Um, we're going to transition, and we're going to start talking about the NCAA tournament. It is March. March is upon us. It's March 1st. March Madness is right around the corner. And in my opinion, I know some of my NFL fans may disagree, but the NCAA tournament is the greatest American sporting event we have. Um, I think the longevity of it, the fact that it lasts for three weeks, three or four weeks, puts it a step above the Super Bowl, where the Super Bowl is a great one-day, three-hour, four- or five-hour event. The NCAA tournament monopolizes the sports fan's brain for a good, solid three or four weeks out of every calendar year, the first weekend is basketball Christmas. I mean, it's just wall-to-wall games from about noon till about midnight. you got 12 hours straight of very competitive, entertaining games. Things are always happening. And then the bracket. The bracket is the ultimate engagement tool. 
it sucks you into all of it where you're rooting for teams you've never even heard of. You don't know what league they're in. You don't know what colors they wear. You don't know what mas- what the mascot is. Um, you don't even know where the school is. But you all in because you got them on your bracket pulling an upset. Um, and it, it just engages sports fans like nothing else. So we're going to break it down, right? NC, it's March. March Madness, March Madness time. So the first question I got for the fellas, um, and we, I, you know what, I'm on, I'm gonna do something real quick, just because I haven't heard this in so long, and I just need to hear it. Um, let me just pull this up real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Five, oh, five, oh, oh, on the black hand side. Yeah, we are gonna do this five on the black hand side style. I don't even got five questions, but I just wanted to. Yeah, I'm gonna play it again. Five, oh, five, oh, 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 owns the black hand side. Yes, sir. <laughs> I missed that, man. That's, that's that's kind of therapeutic for me right there, man. That's kind of therapeutic for me. Um, so we don't even have five questions, but I do want to dig into the lay of the land. Uh, what do you guys think this year's, this year's field is going to be like? You know, some years you get the top-heavy field, where you know that there are two or three teams that are just too talented not to make it to the Elite Eight or possibly the Final Four. Um, and it's just really evident that there are a couple of teams that are going to be there at the end. Or is this a year where there's like that one squad, that, that heavy favorite, right? Um, it's not a group of teams, but there's like that one favorite where it's like, yep, they're going to be there at the end and it's their tournament to lose. Or is it one of those years where, you know, any this is anybody. Anybody can get it, right? Anybody can win this thing. Anybody can take this thing all the way. Um, what do you What do you see as far as the lay of the land at this particular tournament, PhD? I think it's wide open. I'm looking at the top 25. I can see 20 to 25 teams that could realistically make the final four. I I think it's as wide open as I can remember. You know, in the last 10, 12 years. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, I don't I don't see a clear favorite. Um, I don't see a strong team or a group of strong teams that is like, yeah, I don't see them getting beat. Like, it's going to take some real crazy stuff to happen for them to get beat. I just don't see that. Uh, D. Wills, what is your assessment? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I agree. I, I think, um, you know, um, you know, I looked at the – the top 25 and every, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if there's 20, 25. I think there's uh, legitimately probably 15. Um, but I think there's probably about 25 or 30 that could just cause so much disruption. Right. So, um, and it's, it's, you know, as we get into like, what are some of the keys? I think this year more than ever, some of those just basic principles of good tournament basketball are going to be, at play here in recognizing which teams um, are doing some of those things down the stretch, uh, will probably give us some insight into who's who's going to make the who's going to who's going to make that run. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in, I'm in with both of you guys. I think it's a wide open field, and the thing we know historically, anecdotally, these aren't facts, but you know this is just anecdotal. A couple of things happen in wide open field. Um, lower seeds are highly success, successful, right? So you get um, a, a George Mason, a VCU, uh, a Butler type team that is not really 
stamped on folks' radar as a favorite that makes it to the Final Four or even a championship game. Um, and then the other thing that's pretty consistent um, when you have uh, when you have a wide open field is Michigan State makes the Final Four. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime it's wide open, Izzo and his guys punch their ticket. <laughs> I mean, he got to have his group like, this is our year, guys. Look at this. This is this is a Michigan State year. And I feel like this is a Michigan State year. Like, this is a year where it's going to come down to a couple, three other teams in Michigan State. Like, <laughs> it just it, – it rarely fails. So, we'll see. But this is a Michigan State type of year where when you really can't find a favorite, Michigan – you can pistol in Michigan State. They'll they'll be they'll be sitting there at the table when the time comes, and I think that's because Izzo is such a good coach. And if there isn't overwhelming talent, if he's not going against overwhelming talent, he is the overwhelming talent. You know what I mean? He is the thing that's going to tip his team over the edge um, in those situations. With that said, who are you guys looking at as projected number ones? You know, you got your four number one seeds. Who are you feel? Who's filling out the top lines um, in your regions? Uh, D. Wills. Uh, well, this this is uh, tight. Is uh, you know depends on what happened in the Big Twelve, but I'm figuring it's going to be uh, Kansas, uh, Virginia, uh, Michigan State, and Villanova, with uh, with Jay probably going on the first weekend. Um, you know, best looking coach in America. Uh, he's playing small ball, uh, Villanova, running through everybody, but he has yet to show me that he can make a deep run the way he should. But I, I think those are the teams when you look at how things are. Um, you know what happens with the, the the Big 12 tournament between Oklahoma and uh, Kansas. You know, I think you know the winner of that in the championship one will probably be a two seed, the other one will be a one seed. And then the ACC is pretty tight right now. But I just think Virginia. You know, you got Miami in there, you got UNC, you got a lot of things happening in there. But I think Virginia is just probably the most solid team coming out of the ACC. And as you said about Michigan State, they're beginning to, you know, Izzo's doing his thing again. They begin to catch a little heat here, get get right towards the end of the year, they're getting healthy, um, and they're making a run. So those are my number ones. Okay. You know, it's always funny when we start talking about the tournament because those those little RSG agendas start coming out, man. You and your Villanova. <laughs> Yeah, man. I don't trust it. Our next one got to be that can't trust it. Uh, uh, we got to do I can't trust it at the next podcast. That'll be right. <laughs> yeah, once the bracket you know, come out, we definitely got to lay out those can't trust them. Uh, we got to lay those out when, once the bracket comes out, man. But yeah, those agendas, man. Every, the tournament never fails to bring them out. <laughs> Has Jay Wright even ever made the Final Four? No, nah, man. You know, he's he been in the studio. Too, you know, and last year he got bumped out. He didn't even show up in the studio. I think he was just embarrassed because he may have been listening to our podcast where I said, you're going to be in the studio. He just, You know, he didn't show up in the studio last year. So uh, it doesn't feel like he made that run yet. I mean, what, how, what's the deepest he's ever gone? Has he gone past? Yeah, I don't know if they've made a final four. I mean, he's had – He's always been, you know, the one or two seed probably for the last, what, three, four, five years? Well, all right, so they made it to the Final Four in 2008-2009. Uh, he's made it to the Sweet 16 
um, twice, and he's been there since looks like 2001. Um, so, well, let's see how long has he been there. He's been there since yeah, 2001. So, 15 years. He's made the Sweet 16 twice. He's made the Elite yeah. Eight once, and he made the Final Four once. So, in four years, he's made it to the Sweet 16 or further. Mm. I mean, you know, Devon, Yikes. when I think of Jay Wright, I think of Andy Reid, which is a guy that you despise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and let's be clear. My only thing about Andy Reid is he's an offensive lineman, a former offensive lineman. He doesn't run the football. He had Don McNabb. He had a great running game. He would not run the football. Now in Kansas City, he wouldn't run the football. Maybe he hated so Red Block. Not, I want to be clear about that. Yeah, I don't Maybe know. Devon. I mean, <laughs> on on multiple times you have like like you have questioned why people view Andy Reid as some kind of genius. You know, yeah. you kind of like look at him. You've been in the Super Bowl once. You know, this is Jay Wright, man. Yeah, yeah. They, Wright, they, he's not lying. They're both out of Philly. You got something against Philly? No, I, I love Philly. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I was a former Sixers fan. Loved it. Andrew Tony, the, the Boston Strangler. You know, I, I love Philly, man. I love, you know, John Harbaugh used to be over there. I, I love, I love Philly. It, it, he, I don't know if I call him even Andy Reid. He kind of like, um, who would I say he is? He's, he's, uh, huh? Andy Reid. Yeah, he's Andy Reid. Uh, Phil's right. Yeah, Phil's right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was, I was. Yeah, okay. Maybe he is Andy Reid. I, I, Andy been to the Super Bowl. Yeah, he been to a Final Four, huh? Ah, uh, yeah, he's yeah. Andy Reid. I give him that. I give him that. I give him Andy Reid. He's Andy Reid. Okay. And, and Devon, the other thing you got to remember is he went to the Sweet Sixteen. He went to the Elite Eight. He's been to a Final Four. Then in the years he didn't make it, he was probably a top four seed, which is why we hate the Villanova. <laughs> That's it, man. He don't cost everybody they 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 they, they check. Cats have been coming after him, thinking he's gonna do it this year. Cats and Philly mad, <laughs> and he just yeah. They had the most promise. He he takes the biggest fall, and he's had some great teams in recent years. So that's my my thing with him. But you can't deny he's the number one. He'll be a number one seed this year. Um, yeah, and maybe his small ball approach is going to be be a little bit more consistent play in these first couple of rounds, but. We'll see. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of Villanova, but I just think, I always think it's interesting when when we start talking about the tournament, man, and the hatred the the hatred that we have for some programs just comes spewing out, man. PhD, who are your four one seed? Um, not Villanova, because Villanova's gonna lose to Georgetown. <laughs> <laughs> and then Villanova's going to lose to Georgetown on Saturday, and then they're going to have an early exit in whatever conference they play in now. So hold on. Just, you just, just, want to, just want to put that out there. In the Big East, they oh, going to struggle. Just, y'all just put me on blast. I just said he's going to get knocked out of the first round. You got to get crushed before he gets to the Big, the Big East tournament. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That that sounds like an endorsement. Real sports guys. So, Real sports guys. So so my four 
I think North Carolina is going to have a really good uh, outing in the ACC tournament. They got a big game against Duke this coming weekend. I like them as a one seed. I agree with Michigan State for the same reasons Marcus mentioned. Um, and then I think the Big 12 gets two teams. Kansas, man, they looked good last night. Uh, Hustle and Flow co-host, say cool was there. And, um, yeah, it got kind of ugly. Sorry, man. Um, yeah, guess, I, feel uh, for, I feel bad for Shaka. I had to turn that one off. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, sorry, Seiko. Um But I like Kansas. <laughs> I mean, they look good. They look really good, as well as Oklahoma. Oklahoma's been a team that had the one spot um, for a while this season and then really hit a, a really tough stretch. Um, but I think that, Oklahoma will actually win the Big 12, or at least go really deep. And I don't think Kansas wins the Big 12, but because they're going to be ranked so high, I think they still deserve a one seed. So my four teams are Kansas, Oklahoma, Michigan State, and North Carolina. Okay. Okay. Um, You know, this is what I think will happen, not what I think should happen, right? This is what I think will happen. Um, I think Kansas will be a one. Michigan State will be a one. Um, I think Virginia will hold on. Um, but I do see North Carolina putting a lot of heat on them for that number one spot. Um, I think it will be hard for two conferences, uh, two teams from the same conference to get uh, one seed. And I think if that did happen, I think it would be the Big East, and I think it would be Villanova and Xavier, even though I'm not a fan of Villanova just like you guys. I'm not going to go with the hate that you guys have spit. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not – I think they're a one, but if I got – they're not making my final fall. <laughs> um, and I do like – I do think Oklahoma winds up winning the Big 12. Oklahoma is a team I'm really, really liking right now. But, I, but my, my four seeds, I got to go – my four ones, I got to go Kansas, Michigan State, Virginia, and Villanova. Um in that order, in that order as well. Um, I think Kansas is the overall number one. Michigan State, to me, um, is definitely the next um, with Virginia and then Villanova. And, again, you know, if Villanova hasn't, hadn't had the great regular season that they've had, I could easily – like, I feel like the, the, the next three teams that I would have are better than Villanova, North Carolina, Oklahoma, um, even uh, West Virginia, you know, I think are Xavier. I think those teams, the, the teams in that next tier, I think easily. Um, I picked. The, I, I'm, I'm having them go further than I'm having Villanova go. How about that? <laughs> if we never had a one uh, sixteen, um, be on the lookout. Twenty sixteen, you're gonna get that one sixteen upset. So. Be on the lookout for it. Uh, yeah, Villanova gets to be a one seed. That might happen. That's what. That, that's what I'm, I'm. Again, I'm predicting. They've had. They've been number one in the country. They've had a good enough regular season where I think they will wind up being a one seed. Um, but I also think they're going to disappoint a lot of people. Um, so, question number three in this pseudo five on the black hand side is: uh, Who are your potential sleepers to keep an eye on? During the conference tournaments, like who are you watching to see how they perform during the conference tournament? And you're like, yep, that's what I needed to see. 
I'm going to have them advancing pretty far. Um, who are those teams for you, PhD? Ooh, um, Purdue. Purdue, they they have brought their standard. Um, so Purdue and Maryland, two teams out of the Big Ten, which just sounds odd to have Maryland in the Big Ten. I'm still trying to get adjusted to that. It does. But, you know, Maryland looked really good earlier in the year, man. They struggled, you know, towards the middle of the Big Ten schedule. And then Purdue has been a team that really has pulled it together. I mean, they have climbed up the rankings the last couple of weeks. They're playing a pretty strong brand of defense. I mean, like you would expect a Matt Matt Painter team to do. And, And this kid, Vince Edwards, man, I mean, he's, He's tough, him and Hammond. So I actually like Purdue to, to kind of shake it up if and only if they advance to the championship game of the Big Ten. Okay. Okay. So Purdue is a sleeper that uh, PhD is predicting. And, and I like that. You know, the big man in the middle, Hammond, um, is a nice player. I think he'll cause matchup problems in the tournament because of his size. Um, they defend well. Um so, yeah, Purdue is a team that I, I, I can rock with that. I can definitely, definitely rock with that. Um, D. Wills, you sleeper. Um, I, actually, I have a couple of them in there in, from the Big Ten uh, as well. So, I will say uh, Indiana. I mean, tonight, uh, uh, I mean, I watched the first half of the Michigan game, Indiana and Ann Arbor, Washington TV, and, and, and Michigan was handed to Indiana early. And Tom Crean said something to Yogi Ferrell. I mean, got into him, and this cat just put on his clown suit and just led a charge and ran Michigan out to gym. And then How I was just watching Indiana him. Indiana a sleeper. Indiana's in first I, I, place in the Big Ten. Well, because the reason why is that even though they're in first point. place in the Big Ten, people <laughs> still think – this is my point with this. People still think, you know, Maryland – even though they're not in it, if you're talking about a talent in a run, Maryland's got a lot of love, Iowa's got a lot of love, Michigan State's got a lot of love. So when you think about long-term value to them, even though they're winning the Big Ten, I think if you were to give people say, okay, who's going to make the run in the Big Ten, people are still putting their hand in the Maryland basket, the Iowa basket, in the Michigan State basket, for whatever reason uh, with it. I don't think people are locking Indiana into the lead eight. I just I just not, have not felt that there, even as you as you watch them. Yeah, uh, you know, for most of the season up until recently, you know, it's been a narrative. Iowa, Maryland, Michigan State have been the dominant. So I'll give it. The other one that's a definite sleeper is Wisconsin. The key is the Vito Brown piece. This kid went from singing, as you know, Marcus, known most for his national anthem, <laughs> to being very productive cat on the floor who can space. In the way that I think uh, they've kind of built some depth, it's an interesting squad. Still not quite confident, you know, even though I should be with Bronson and the backcourt. I like the way some of the bigs are beginning to gel and merge, and that's an interesting group. I want to see how they do in the Big Ten tournament um, and run. And another sleeper, because I think they're going to win their tournament, I think they're going to win their tournament possibly, uh, would be a team like uh, St. Joe's, you know, that – you know, I think they got a dual scoring threat there um, that can, um, you know, put a run on some a mid-major type of squad that can uh, make a run. When you think about was it Bembry and, and Miles? 
think they're averaging like 36, 34.6 points, 16 rebounds per game as a duo. Uh, and so, you know, I really want to look at some of these mid-majors who I think, you know, have some, some, some um, you know, juniors and seniors and can kind of make that VCU type of run. Uh, I think that can happen more often in this tournament than I think we've seen in a while. But I know my Indiana thing doesn't seem like a sleeper, but I just think the narrative has been a lot of these other teams are not in this league, Indiana to recently. Okay. All right. Um, I got to sleep. I don't mind Phil, I don't mind Phil T calling you on that, on that Indiana sleep because they have yeah, And, and I know. I mean, it's but I, I, and when I, I thought about it, I said, I, 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 I knew he was going to call me on that, but I just <laughs> – that's why I was making my case about the larger narrative. If you were to say Indiana Elite Eight team, you'd be like, "Hell no," because <laughs> you don't trust you don't trust Tom Cream. Nope, so, nope. I got to say, so, so, I, gotta no say what I need to put out there. I got to put out there before the pundits get to this. I have not heard this anywhere. I just happened to be flicking the channels yesterday. Mike Davis, the former Indiana coach. I believe he took over for Bob Knight. I believe he was his direct yeah. successor, yep. I believe. Yep. Yep. Um, he's bounced to UAB. He's currently at Texas Southern. Texas Southern went 1-14 or 1-13, something like that, in their, in their non-conference schedule. They are now 16-1 in their – or 15-1 in their conference. And their overall record is something like 15 or 16 and 12, something like that. I'm telling you, if they can get out of that 16 seed and they make it to a 14 or 15, watch out. Watch out. Yeah, or if they get Villanova first. If we get, if we get Villanova, Texas Southern, no, we all taking that. Yeah, and, and, and Phil, you make a good point. Even when we talk about sleepers, I think the, the real sleepers, I mean, when you think about – um, you know, a great question was asked to Lenardi about, you know, what if, like, a team like Mammoth that has some really good victories, they don't win their tournament, do they get in? You know, Arkansas, Little Rock, some of these teams who have just been, you know, had some great uh, non-conference wins against power conferences and have really been dominant, you know, it could be considered top 30, top 40 teams, you know, do they get in? And Is this a year where some of these, Mid majors like that should get in versus some of the, the you know the you know the eighth ACC team or the eighth Big Ten team or whatever, but those yeah. teams can be in this in this space can be real sleepers. Not because they're not good, it's because the the reason why they're gonna be sleepers is because people are so connected with brand identity at times. You know, at this time, the the blue bloods at this time and don't think these teams, but so much of the I've watched more college basketball this year, and I, I've got an appreciation for um, the level of play in some of these mid-majors that you like, dang, these kids are going to be – they can go, you know, and they're yeah. more senior-laden. And so the difference is not like it used to be, you know, even as we think about five years ago. I think the gap is even, you know, closer now just because of some of the other – you know, you see some of these victories, cats are just playing with confidence. And so those are some of the sleepers, I think, that, that are out there. Um, and it would be interesting if they don't win their tournament, do they still get in? I think a couple of mine. Okay. Yeah, and I, and I think a, a, a thing, a development that I think will aid in some of those teams being able to get into the tournament, um, 
are some teams that are on probation. SMU yeah. and Louisville. Yeah. Now, that's two teams that would be in that are now not going to be in, and they probably would have got that's in right. on at-large bids. Um, now they're not getting in on those at-large bids because they can't participate in postseason. Um, so this yeah. going to open the door for possibly um, a mid-major at-large, you know, somebody like Arkansas Little Rock, who is 26-3 and three right now, um, might be able to sneak in if they don't win their conference tournament. Stephen F. Austin, which is a very good team at 23-5, yeah. and five, that if they don't win their conference, maybe they sneak in. Um, so it will open the door for um, possibly – uh, some some mid major at largest to get get bids and get into the tournament. Um, my sleeper um, is not a is it, it's a sleeper. It's kind of a pseudo sleeper. Like they're not on everybody's radar. But this is the per like just like this is a year for Michigan State. This is a year for Wichita State, right? When you mm. talk about the team that has the ingredients that we all promote when we're looking at our brackets, veteran guards, Van Vliet and Baker. They've been around the block several times. They've been through this several times. And they haven't been able to break through since the one run that they had. I think this is the type of tournament where a team like Wichita State smashes, just smashes out, and we find them in the Final Four, even a championship game, Um, because they have the guard play. I mean, they have versatile guards who have been through it, like not just like – we're good. Now, nah, we've been in the tournament, like, every year. Mm-hmm. And we know what this is about. We've had success in the tournament. We've had success in the regular season. That's the team that I say you need to watch out for if you're one of these so-called blue bloods and they're in your pride. Pride, you might want to look at the committee a little sideways and you might be asking <laughs> for an explanation. Like, what did we do to deserve Wichita State? on my side of the bracket. <laughs> so I think Wichita State is going to cause a lot of problems. Um, another program that I think is going to cause problems is Providence. Um, if they can yeah. hang on and sneak in, I really like Chris Dunn. Um, I think he is the best point guard in college basketball, but he also can score. And we know a hot guard you know, Buddy Hield is my likely, most likely candidate to go nuts in the tournament, right, and be like just the <laughs> darling of the tournament because he's going to have a couple 35, 40-point games. My next guy is Chris Dunn from Providence. Um, I think he's going to have a couple of games in the tournament that are going to open everybody's eyes and they're going to be like, whoa, this dude is really, really good. Um, he's a top five prospect in the NBA draft. He's a big guard. He's about 6'4", 6'5", over 200 pounds, quick, great vision. Um, he sets up his teammates really well. And, you know, again, that's the cheat code. A high guard is the cheat code in the NCAA tournament because they have the ball in their hands. They don't have to bring it up and get it to them. It's hard to scheme against the guard because they get it at 84 feet and they just bring it up. What can you do about that? You know? So, um, that's those are my two sleepers, Providence and and Wichita State. And again, Wichita State is kind of under the radar. They're a very good team, but it, it's a pseudo sleeper. It's kind of like D. Will's Indiana, but um, it's not a name. It's a name brand, but it's not a name brand in the sense of a Kentucky or somebody like that. So those are my sleepers. Um, 
But I think this is going to be a wide, wide open tournament, and it can go a lot of different ways. It's going to be interesting to see who all gets in. Um, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see how this all plays out. Um, any other teams that, that that you guys didn't get want to give some props to, want to give some shine to that you get, didn't get a chance to? Well, I'll say one team I've been watching tonight, and, you know, it's crazy because we're not talking about them because of the way they recruit. It's Kentucky. Um, the young, you know, it's Calipari's way of kind of bringing these young guys along. They struggle in some games, you know, because they're getting used to the pace. But I watched them tonight against Florida. I watched a couple games there recently. And they're beginning to gel on defense. Um, and uh, your boy Jamal Murray, man, can straight fill it up. I watched him at the beginning of the year, and I'm seeing him now. I think he got eight straight games, hitting 20 points or more. Um, and it's kind of how Calipari does it. You know, he'll 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 he might get the right kind of seating where he's kind of, you know, not very high. Can kind of play the, you know, our backs against the wall kind of thing with these young guys. But when I saw him play earlier, because this is kind of how it goes with him. You know, you could tell they just couldn't play. They didn't know how to play. Now I see him learning how to play on defense, um, running their sets the right way on offense, the right guys getting a shot at the right time. You know, they're kind of under the radar, but they're phenomenal athletes and scorers. So, you know, you know, you put together a six-game run, you know, don't be surprised. You can see Calipari doing it again. Yeah, and his teams are always dangerous for that very reason because he does have a bunch of young guys who do have to all at once figure out their roles and their place in the system. And they struggle through the early part of the season, and then you're right, it just clicks. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, they are all blue chippers, though. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, then you realize, <laughs> oh, yeah, he do got a team full of blue chippers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you watch them struggle all season, and then it clicks, and you're like, ugh, yeah, they're, yeah all those guys are really good. <laughs> I kind of forgot that. You know, so. Yeah, you got the, the, yeah, the Jamal Murray, back boy. To make, that cat can shoot. <laughs> yeah, he can fill it up, man. He's one of those guys who's just a scorer. Yeah. So, well, this is Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG Renegade Radio. We are quickly moving up upon the last 15 minutes of the show. We're going to take a quick break, come right back, talk some NFL Combine, um, and then we're going to close this bad boy up. All right? So we're just going to hit you with a little, a little sounds. For your ears, give me a moment. There you go. Welcome to the Real Sports Guys, where real guys talk real sports, RSU Renegade Radio. We are back and in full effect for the spring. It is March 1st, 2016, 
and we are entering March Madness. We just got done breaking down the NBA, I mean the NCAA tournaments and some things that we're looking for as the, the NCAA teams go into their conference tourneys and we get ready for bracket play. Um, the NFL Combine just went down, fellas. Um, and the Combine is just a weird – I'm kind of at a point in my life where, you know, back in – when I was younger – the combine was like I would I would be reading about forty times and who did this and and what guys measured in and right now I kind of just don't care anymore. Not because there's anything necessarily wrong with the combine, but just because I kind of know that all of those things don't really ultimately matter as much as the combine makes it seem like they matter. Um, there's been talk around the NFL about possibly reframing, adjusting reorganizing the combine so that it does a better job of putting players in positions where they're going to be evaluated on how they perform actual football-related drills. Um, What do you think of that conversation, D. Wills? Yeah, I would like to do that. I know people like Belichick and folks, uh, I think he's right as a coach that, you know, this just takes away from a lot of developmental stuff. You know, I just think there's so much technology, you know, out there, the way coaches evaluate that they have so much tape on these kids and there's a lot they already know. Um, you know, I would, I would rather, rather than having a combine, you know, maybe have more regional pro days and maybe do something different that you could allow teams to do, but really focus combine on, I think, like you said, some football related stuff, um, movements, things that, um, you know, maybe, you know, even quarterbacks and, you know, seven on seven, create seven on seven scenarios, do something different where, you know, people are, you know, having to do the plays, having to actually, you know, just do something that is beyond the 40 and the shuffle and some of that stuff. I mean, I think for some of the positions, it works better than others. But, I mean, you know, there's so much preparation with all these kind of, um, you know, super kind of, uh, you know, agents and folks who've got all this infrastructure preparing athletes for these things. And, I, you know, I think, you know, it's kind of like the drug stuff. You know, people are catching up to it. You know, they're running their own Wonderlick test kind of preparation. So, you know, it's getting away from the things that I think the combine was designed uh, to do. And the most crazy thing about the combine to me is that, you know, the kinds of questions they ask these athletes and kind of, you know, just there's some things there that have pushed on the bounds, the boundaries that, um you know, I know they're making million-dollar investments that just don't – there's, there's got to be another way. And so um, I'm hoping – I just don't know what it is. Um, it's become such much, so much of a business for so many people. You know, there's so much of infrastructure and money around it. I don't know how much change they can make um, because of the business of this off-season combine and stuff and what it does for the NFL um, is something they have to consider with every move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The interview piece I think is probably the most questionable piece, um, as far as kind of how that's handled from an ethics standpoint. Obviously, nothing, no serious laws or anything like that are being violated. But just like what's in bounds and what's out of bounds, and you know, what do you get to ask certain guys? Um, You know, I think there's there's a conversation to be had about that. Um, but yeah, some of the drills and things, I think, you know, just finding a more relevant way to assess. Cause again, there's a huge investment being made into these players and I'd be down for getting more accurate information myself. Um, if I'm one of these coaches or one of these GMs, what are your thoughts on the situation, PhD? 
I'm done with the combine, man. Leave it as is. <laughs> That's it. All right. Short and sweet. <laughs> He's always on the combine. Um, so, obviously, at the combine every year, there are always things that happen. Um, this year, I mean, I don't even know how to talk about this particular situation. <laughs> it was a wardrobe malfunction. Yeah. Uh, that's the one? <laughs> yeah, you could call it that, um, I guess. This is a, yeah, man, that was, a bit, that was a real bad malfunction. So you got the young brother from Mississippi State. Um, he's running a 40-yard dash. I think he's an O-lineman, a D-lineman. Um, so it's a big cat, man. He's running a 40-yard dash. Right. And I don't know what kind of wardrobe decisions he made prior to um, <laughs> stepping up to the starting block. But uh, this brother stopped running, and he gets to about the twenty yard marker, and there's some extra cargo flapping around. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like, um, is that what I think it is? But why is that even out? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's one of those situations like that looks like, but why is it there? <laughs> So, again, his brother's junk comes flying out as he's running his 40, and he doesn't really know what to do, and I don't think I would have known what to do. I can't I can't really say I would have had a better reaction. So he just kind of lays down. <laughs> and the Pete Rose slide in the second base. That's what he did, Rose slide. I mean, he laid there like he was hiding, like – I don't know what he was hiding, but he laid there like he was hiding something <laughs> from other people. Like, don't look. Don't look at this. This thing I have underneath, don't look. And it's like, um, Doug, what are you doing? <laughs> it was just a weird situation, man. Um, it was probably the most interesting thing that actually happened at the Combine. You know, obviously the 40 times and all that stuff are great, but, again, the amount of actual impact they have, on who turns out to be a good player, um, I don't know. Um, they mean something. I mean, there are a lot of guys who have run blazing 40 times at the combine but can't run a route, can't guard anybody, and couldn't catch a cold, you know, in Alaska without any clothes on. But uh, this this was interesting. It was very, very interesting. Um, did either of you guys see this? I know you probably saw it after the fact. Uh, what were your thoughts? Well, I, I was like, how do you rate the 40? <laughs> At that point, right? do you give him a break? Do you give him an extra 10 seconds off? Do you adjust for that? Uh, you know, you give him credit for following through. You know, it's it's all those different things. Uh, he, you, you can tell he knows how to handle adversity. So you have to ask him a question about that. <laughs> So we calling this adversity? Is that what we're calling? This qualifies as adversity. When we got cameras that sure. shoot around the country and around the world, there's not more adversity than that. <laughs> when you just out there for everybody, your grandma is, is that oh, Johnny man. stuff? You know, you, you, can't, you know what you tell grandma when you call her. Granny, did you see me? 
Yeah, I saw right. you. I saw a whole bunch of other stuff. You know? Right. You told me to watch this. What's, combine what's up with your britches? What's up right. with your britches? You told me to watch this combine thing, so I turned it on, and I see you right. running. And I see a lot more of you running than I want to see. <laughs> this is a conversation you have with your granny, right? You say, granny, yeah. granny, 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 you got to watch. I'm going to be on it. Right. I'm going to be on it like that. You know how she she's like, who chose your clothes? Baby, don't mm-hmm. you got an agent? Don't, don't you got a wardrobe specialist? Who chose your clothes? No, nah, she's going to ask you one of them old school questions. Like, don't you got one of them protectors for down now? <laughs> why you didn't have it on? <laughs> then they ask you a question like that. Well, why you didn't bring it? <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, so, you know, the combine is the combine. Um, I think it, it, you know, there are useful bits of information. It goes back to your old adage, though, D-Wills, um, when you always rail against analytics, you know, the sound of the bat means something, too. You got to have all the numbers in the world, but the sound that the ball makes coming off the bat matters, and that's where I think mm-hmm. you got to balance it, you know, that balance between the uh, the numbers and then the film study um, and using the numbers to either get you to question what you've seen on film or affirm what you've seen on film and just get you to investigate and dig a little deeper. Um, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think Lewis Riddick, I heard him talk about this, which was a great – I mean, I've never heard anybody really talk about it as a, you know, as a former GM. You hit it right on the head. He said that uh, – real quickly, he said that, you know, if you had good film, the combine – um, even if you have a bad combine, you still got good film, right? Combine helps people where you, you don't have enough film on them, and it forces you to go back and watch more film. So it all comes back to the film, and it was great to have a, a football personnel person talk about the importance of film and how this plays a role, but the film is is, is the most important and does it support what we see on film. Yes, sir. I I agree with you 100%. So we are about to close this out. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio, brought to you by Resistance Digital Solutions. On the Rocks and Rockford, Illinois, make sure you hit up our man Craig Stockwell at On the Rocks and Rockford, Illinois. Great food, great people. Tell them the Real Sports Guys sent you. Tonight's show, all guests and hosts are brought to you via the Frederick Accounting Gateway. Frederick Accounting is the official accountant of the real sports guys. And then we come to the last word. And the last word is brought to you by XL Academics, changing one mind at a time. PhD, you get the last word tonight. Run with it, brothers. You got 90 seconds, says the little British lady. We got a treat tonight that that has occurred during our show, I had something else lined up to talk about for the last word. However, the Sacramento Kings were playing against the Oklahoma Thunder this evening. And Boogie Cousins, DeMarcus Cousins, <laughs> he and Steven Adams of the Thunder, they get a little tangled. And Steven Adams appears to kind of have pinned Boogie as he's falling down. Nothing major, but, you know, kind of pinned him down. Boogie gets up. It comes 80% from just J. 
jacking this dude up with a right hand cross, but he but he restrained himself. He didn't do it. So he probably didn't get kicked out, he probably won't get fined. And Steven Adams actually had his back to him so he didn't see it. Um so I'd like to give a shout out for Boogie Cousins for showing some <laughs> nice work. He did the old hood. I'm about to knock this fool out. <laughs> You know, when you get so mad, when you just cock one back and then you don't let it go. <laughs> right. He did, biting, man. It took me back to, like, middle school. <laughs> he was biting his bottom lip, okay? Yes, 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 yes. You, you were right on. You were right on. Like, yes. I but your boy Adam's got about nine brothers and sisters. He ain't played fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, man, he was he was ready to give him that. He was ready to give him one. He was ready to stock him. <laughs> well, that does it for this edition of the Real Sports Guys. RealSportsGuys.com. RSG. Penny Gang Radio. Back in years, 2016. We're about to keep live over the next couple of months as we get into the tournaments, NBA playoffs, and into the baseball season. So stay tuned. Keep downloading the podcast. And we'll catch you next week, uh, in two weeks, same time, same place. Peace. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.